I find out that I work better in the studio if I do something different. Because if I just wake up and go to the studio, it's too much pressure on my mind. Because I mean, when when you're doing music full time, there is a lot of pressure. You cannot avoid the pressure in your mind. Because in your head, you're like, dude, you're doing music full time. You got to do dope tracks every day. So I think the distractions are a really good thing to, to work in in your structure. What is up, producers? My name is Sam Matler, and this is the EDM Podcast, the world's number one podcast for electronic music producers. If you've been listening for a while, you know what the show is about. But if you're new, this is a show where I interview successful producers and interesting people in the music industry. And we talk about everything, uh, including the technicalities of music production, life as an artist, creativity, struggles that artists and producers have, uh, marketing, building a career in music, and the industry as a whole. In today's episode, episode 49, I talk to a producer called Fabian Massour. Fabian has an impressive discography. He's been platinum certified uh, and nominated six times at the Danish DJ Awards. But what's more interesting than all of that is how he achieves this perfect balance between unique sounding music uh, that also appeals to a wide audience and that's one of the main things we talk about in this interview pop music uh, how to make it unique and why it's so underrated and hard to do we also talk about what life is like as a full-time artist whether it's worth going to college or getting a degree the importance of experimentation making sample packs how fabian starts a track and much more I hope you enjoy the show. If you do, please head on over to edmpro.com slash iTunes and leave a rating and review. It does help. Anyway, without further ado, here is Fabian Massour. This episode is brought to you by EDM Foundations. EDM Foundations is my course for new producers, those who've been producing for under 12 months or even those who've just started. The whole idea of the EDM Foundations course is that you learn the fundamentals of music production by actually doing and not just learning the theoretical stuff. The course consists of over 12 hours worth of streamable video where I walk you through the creation of three songs and give you advice and tips for working on your own original alongside them. We've had over 500 people sign up for this course. Many of them have had great results. If you want to learn more about the course, head over to edmfoundations.com. Welcome back to the EDM podcast. Today, I'm joined by Fabian Massour. Fabian, how's it going? It's going good, man. It's all good here. Awesome, awesome. Uh, now, I want to go all the way back to the start. How did you initially get into music? Tell us a bit about your background. Yeah, so I uh, I grew up in Copenhagen, Denmark. With uh, My mom is American or half American and my dad is Danish. And they're actually both playing jazz music. Mm. Um, so I kind of had a... Yeah, I mean, I, had a, I was waste on music because I was always touring with my mom and dad when I was a kid. Um, cause yeah, they, sometimes they brought a babysitter, but I was on tour 
actually my whole childhood. Wow. Um, so I, I grew up on like jazz world kind of music um, in a really musical family. But however, when I was young, I never really wanted to play music, actually. I wanted to play soccer because that's mm-hmm. what most kids want to play in Denmark. <laughs> um, but yeah, when I hit my my early teens, like 14, 15, I, I really got into the whole music thing. It was inevitable, I think. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I kind of got, um, what, what was that program called? EJ, I think. EJ, yeah. Um, yeah, we've all been there, right? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I kind of got EJ and it got started with the whole producing thing. Um, and it, it kind of it caught on really quick. Um, so I bought Sony Acid Pro. Yeah. Yeah, the good old Sony Acid Pro. <laughs> um, and I started doing a lot of hip-hop beats. Because mm. I, I grew up on, like, of course, my mom and dad, my mom and dad showed me a lot of jazz music. Um, but I grew up on mostly hip-hop and R&B, actually. Because right, um, yeah. that, that was pretty popular at that time. I'm from the 90s, so. Um, and yeah, I kind of got into the whole hip-hop beat, R&B beat thing. Um and at the same time, in my like, I think I was sixteen or something. I had a friend who started DJing, and I really got into DJing from him. Um, and I started DJing on the side as well, and got into some clubs at my my late teens. Um, and then it all kind of it all kind of makes sense to to really like bridge the whole production DJing thing. Yeah. Um, so I started like getting more into production, more into DJing. Actually, started making the. A, a very little amount of money from DJing. Um, and I really I really thought that, hey, I'm going to do this music thing. I really want to do that. Mm. Um, so I applied to uh, to music school in Denmark. It was actually a music management type of thing. Um, but I didn't really get in. <laughs> oh, no. But I, I kept... Uh, the thing is, I kept on going. Um, I kept on producing. And I actually took the university degree... Um, Besides making music. So I have a degree in information science. Oh, I see. Which I finished um, two and a half years ago. And ever ever since I finished that university thing, it's been all music, 100%. And the funny thing is, I mean, my music didn't really... I mean, it didn't really sound that good until I finished university and went all in with the music. Right, um, right. Because... Um, yeah, I don't know. I think the whole full-time thing kind of caught up, and and it really got good for me after I started doing it every day and put my mind, um, getting my mind used to like the fact that hey, dude, do music full-time, mm. chase your dream, see what it what it gets you. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my background. That's so interesting. I've got a, a few questions that I want to ask, uh, yeah. and I want to get to the full-time thing, but. Growing up on jazz music, do you think that had an influence, uh, or do you think that has an influence on how you make music now? Um, I used to not think it had, but I, I kind of, um, I kind of think it has a bit of influence. Um, mm. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trained in like instruments, yeah. So, um, it doesn't really have an impact on how I produce like chords and stuff. Yeah, but I think. I think I've I've always had I've always uh, always had a passion for like soul and jazz chords, um, mm-hmm. so I I think it kind of reflects in some of my music because I've done like harder stuff and I've done softer stuff. Do you um, think? Sorry to interrupt, but one thing I notice with with jazz musicians, especially because jazz 
as a genre is so hard to uh well jazz musicians are some of the best in the world i mean it's it's really yeah, hard are. to play jazz right did you see yeah. that kind of self-discipline from your parents i mean did you see you know oh these people are working so hard these musicians do you think that had an impact yeah sure i mean the the thing about my parents is the they're jazz musicians so their work like the workflow and the their mind of working mm. is um is really different from what what i got into um but it did have an impact for sure i mean the fact that i had parents who who lived from their music the whole lives that makes me want to change my dream even mm. more because like hey you know it's possible when your parents does it right for sure i think that's uh that was kind of my thought that's amazing because i mean <laughs> i know that when I was growing up, I was, you know, 14, 15, getting into music. Uh, my parents were supportive, but they were, you know, they would always say, well, one day you're going to have to wake up and, and get a real job. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I haven't but got a real my, job actually, yet. Actually, <laughs> my, my parents kind of said that as well. Right, okay. Yeah, because it's, it's not easy making it as a musician, especially not, not. in Denmark. So, um, yeah. so yeah, they kind of wanted, wanted me to go to the university and, I kind of did that as well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. I want to ask about that. Do you think, you know, I had someone email me the other day. They said, uh, I'm 18 years old. Um, you know, I want to, I want to do music full time, but I'm also studying, or I'm going to study a degree in marketing. Uh, what do you think I should do? Do you think I should forget about going to, to university, to college and just do music? Or do you think I should do it alongside? And I, I find it really hard to give advice in that situation because the music industry is very volatile and it's very hard to uh, yeah, it make is. it. And, and so I think it's worth having, you know, a backup option. But what do you think? Do you think it was worth getting? I mean, you haven't really used it, like you said, but do you think it was worth studying and getting the degree? I, I kind of think it was worth it, even though I'm probably never going to use it. Mm. I think the whole, the whole thing about having... Uh, a really different thing for music in your in your daily life um, that could contribute with something really great to your music. Because um, when I went to the university, it was like I had um, maybe eight to three or four every day in the school, and then I went to the studio to make music. So like half the day, my mind was on something completely different, and I think mm. that helped me out a lot. Um, and especially if if the kid is studying marketing. Marketing is a great tool. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, in the industry nowadays, marketing is almost the, the most important thing. Totally. So it it also depends on how far you are in your career, I think. Because when I went to the university, I wasn't really that far into my career. So mm. I was still, like, trying to find my sound. Um, so I, I, I think you you could definitely make it as, a, as an artist um, when doing the university. Yeah. on the side i think that's possible for sure it, it really all depends how you structure your day and and how motivated you are to do music even though you've spent your entire day in school and the the impact it had on me was every day in school i was like the last few hours of the school day i was just thinking oh i want to go to the studio so bad mm. so it, it kind of got me motivated actually i like that i like that and i think it's you made a good point about how long or how far along someone is uh, with their music because 
I mean, if this person had emailed me and, and I heard their music and it was amazing and they had good traction and they were earning some money from it, then it's like, well, maybe it's a good idea to, to not go to university and just try for yeah, a few years sure, to, sure. to see what happens. But uh, yeah, I agree. a new producer, someone who's been making music for six months, not a good idea, I, I think, because, you know, you have to spend quite a few years to get to a point where that's possible. Um, yeah, you sure do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, coming back to this, you, you, you transitioned to becoming a full time or being a full time producer. Did your mindset change at all uh, when that happened? Um, yeah, my mindset changed a lot. Um, it, I felt like it kind of had to, because um, the whole the whole fact of hey, you're gonna do this music thing full time now. Um, yeah, I really have to. Like, I had to deal with the fact like, hey, dude. First off, you got to make money to live mm. and you got to produce music and you still got to like at that time I hadn't really found my sound completely. Right. Um, so there was a lot of ex- aspects that kind of made my mindset change a lot. Because, um, yeah, I had to first of all, I had to think of the whole the whole, hey, do you want to go total underground? Because if you do, you might not be able to make enough money to live. Mm. Um, cause yeah, it's not, not to say that it's about money, but you still, I mean, I came out of the university and in Denmark, you actually get paid to go to the university. Awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's so great. Um, <laughs> we have this like support for, for college students. Yeah. Um, but the thing is when I, when I finally quit the university or finished my degree, um, I was actually making a decent amount of money from DJing. Mm. And that could almost pay my studio. So I, I wasn't, I mean, I, I wasn't dependent on making that much money from my music. Right. And that left me a lot of financial room and also room in my mind, of course, to, to experiment with the music um, and to pay for a studio full time. So it was it was really great for me <clears throat> to be able to, uh, to experiment then because I hadn't really found my sound. Um but the whole mindset thing about becoming full time, it's it's a lot of pressure. And it was mm. a lot of pressure for me. Um and I kinda had to struggle at first to be creative every day. Cause I was used to going to school and at school you have like you have your whole itinerary for the day planned out for you and the teachers just talk. Mm. So it's a, it's kind of a different stimulation of the mind. Mm. Um because yeah, the whole full time thing, you gotta be creative every day and that's that's hard to do. Um, and at first I thought it was, I thought it was going to be creative if I just spent like, I don't know, 10, 12 hours in the studio every day. Um, but that's always not the right thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I kind of find out that I have to, I had to create a structure around my daily life, which could set me up to create the best music possible. And I had a hard time, I had a hard time doing that. Yeah. That sounds fascinating. Could you, could you talk about that structure then? Yeah, of course. Um, so, I mean, it took me a lot of years um, to figure it out. How how do I like produce music full time and still be creative every day? Mm. Um, so I had to create a schedule, which kind of like the university, I had to create like not distractions, but I had to do something else every day that takes my mind off music so I can make better music. Mm. Um so the thing I did was I created a structure where I would work up 
wake up the same time every day. Um, I'll check my emails, then I'll go to the gym, come home, grab breakfast, and then I'm off to the studio. Mm-hmm. So the first three hours of the day, every day, <laughs> I was doing something completely different and not focusing on music. Um, and that kind of worked for me, actually. Because um, when I hit the studio, I was like all, all like motivated with this energy. Um, and I, I tried a couple of different things. I tried waking up in the morning and producing, and that didn't work out at all for me. Because I'm a like I'm a B B person. Because oh, I like okay. to go go to bed late and sleep <laughs> until late. Um, and that was basically because of my weekends. Because I was DJing every weekend, and I still mm. am. Um, so I kind of had to create a structure um, to help me produce better music and help me work in the studio. Because. Cause yeah, I I was I mean I was banging out a lot of tracks last year. I made kind of made a, a track every week or something last wow. year. Um, and yeah, that structure really helped me out a lot. Cause I think the whole the whole thing is uh, every day when I wake up and like run or go to the gym or something, I would kind of reset my mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when I w- came to the studio, I was like fresh with energy, and my mind was kind of reset. And that that really helped me out a lot. It's just all about creating these these structural distractions. Mm. And for me, it was like hanging out with friends, going to the gym, doing something different every day. Because I find out that I work better in the studio if I do something different. Because if I just wake up and go to the studio, it's like it's it's too much pressure for on sure. my mind. Yeah. Um. Because I mean, when when you're doing music full time, there is a lot of pressure. And you, you cannot avoid the pressure in your mind because in your head, you're like, dude, you're doing music full time. You mm. got to do dope tracks every day. Mm. Mm. So I think the distractions are a really good thing to, to work in in your structure. I really like that. And I think that uh, it's important because there are or there are people out there that say you need to be spending 16 hours a day in the studio if you want to be a professional producer, which I think is, is nonsense. Like that's not like I, I cannot sit down for 16 hours in a day. I just can't do it. Um, no, me neither. Yeah. And, and I also find sometimes I can have a three to four hour production session, maybe even less. And I get so much done, so much done um, compared to say a 10 hour session. You know, you just work so fast, you get in, in the flow state and everything goes well. And the sessions that I've had where that happens, I've normally exercised beforehand. I've normally had a slow morning, not rushed, and then just sat down and, and said, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to work on music. But, exactly. Um, yeah, totally. That's the exact same thing I'm talking about. Because I used to do that. I used to do the whole 12, 14, 16 hour studio sessions. And I mean, I think I was chasing the fact that the more time I spend in the studio, the better music I would make. Mm. But it didn't just work out that way. And I found out that this structure kind of kind of supported the whole go into the studio, work a few hours and actually get more done than I would in the 12 hours. I was just here sitting here like half blocked in my mind. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, do you have any... You know, you've, you've created the structure around your days, but do you have anything more production specific? So you get into the studio, um, do you have any techniques or methods that you've created to keep yourself creative in the studio? 
uh, because because as much as you know it's, it's important to exercise, you know you have breakfast, but some days you're just not going to feel it. Like, what do you do then? So it's kind of funny. I actually had one of those days today. Okay. Um, because I I came into the studio this morning after working out at like ten or something. Yeah. Um, and I I'm working on this track and I really couldn't nail it. I spent like three hours making a melody and it just didn't work out. Mm. Um. And then I tried to do the whole um, the whole effects thing where I tried to create a dope structure for the track and doing like tons of effects to make it sound cool. And it just didn't work out anyway. Um, so the thing I do with, with these days is I have two ways to work around it. One is I try to... Um, I try to like overproduce things. Um, like if you're working on a melody like I did for today, for example, and it didn't work out, I try to do like different stuff to the track, like doing a build-up, doing some effects, doing some different drums. Um, and if that doesn't work, which it didn't today, I do something completely different. Um, so today, I actually uh, I actually went working on a sample pack instead. Because ah. um, I feel like doing sample packs is creative, but if if you're like if you're like having a, a small creative block, you can still do sample packs because it's more. I think it's more work like. I mean, yeah. I could always do some dope drum samples from scratch, but I can't always make a dope melody for a track. So I think, I think if if I have these like small blocks here, I usually um, I usually do something completely different. Like, hey, work on samples, watch tutorials on YouTube, download or buy new samples. I think that's great. Uh, and what what I always tell people is that there's always something you can do. Uh, yeah. If you're not feeling creative, you know, you can you can organize your your samples. Like you can f- fix up the folders, or you can yeah watch tutorials. And what normally happens when you do that is you come up with an idea. You know, exactly. maybe you're organizing yeah. your samples folder, and you hear the sample, and you're like, "Wow, that's awesome!" Like I can turn this into a song. Um, Exactly. So I think that's great advice. You you talk about finding your sound and that, you know, when you started full time, you still didn't really have your own sound. Did you consciously yeah. develop your sound or is it something that just kind of came to fruition over time? Because a lot of people talk about this and a lot of people ask questions about it um, and, and they feel like pressured to create their own sound. Yeah. I mean... I don't think I conscience, consciously created my own sound. Um, it was something that came along the way. Um, and I think my sound was like a combination of my like my soul jazz background and my hip-hop R&B listening background and the fact that I got into electronic music as a teenager. Um, so I don't really think I... I don't really think I develop my sound consciously mm. i think it was something that came along with a lot of different variation uh, inspirations mixed in um and i had a i i really struggled to find my own sound because when i had to find my sound it was at a point where edm was really big with the whole big room house thing mm. and i didn't want to do that and trap was just was just facing. I mean, the the whole Flostradamus, RL Grime things were getting really big. Um, and I kind of fell in love with that because it mixed the whole hip-hop and R&B thing, which I came from as a child, 
and it mixed it with electronic music, with a, which I just got into back then. Uh-huh. So I think it, it was a combination of that. That's interesting. I I like that as well. I think uh, trying to consciously develop your own sound can actually be an inhibition to creativity because yeah sure yeah Yeah. every time you sit down to make a track if you're like i need to sound like this then you're going to discount a lot of ideas that come into your head uh because you might be like oh that doesn't really fit my sound even though it could have been a great idea and i also think you know we're born as humans uh completely unique like we have our own tastes our own experiences in life um you know you growing up with with jazz musicians uh, we all have different backgrounds like that and we all listen to different music. There are no two people that listen to the same music or the same songs the same amount of times. Um, so <laughs> like if you just keep making music and like focus on making good music, I think unless you're trying too hard to sound like someone else, you're going to develop a signature sound. Like you, you just, it's inevitable. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I, it, and I, it actually took me really long to actually create that sound because mm-hmm. I was... I mean, at first, as a producer, you're always going to want to sound like somebody else. And you spend a lot of time trying to sound like somebody else. When you've done that for a longer period of time, I think you're finding your own sound along the way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that was kind of what happened to me. Right, gotcha. Because, of course, you're going to, like, watch a lot of tutorials and play around with a lot of different synths and stuff. And I think... You get to a point where you're like, hey, this this is really dope and people actually like this song for me. I should do more like that. And then you work in that way. And then like some yeah, at some point you just realize, hey, this is the Fabian Masur sounder. This is the yeah, me sound. Mm-hmm. Uh I wanna just go back to I wanna move on and talk about some production stuff, but before that, because I know someone's gonna ask, you said that the DJing was going pretty well. Um, yeah. You know, you could pretty much sustain yourself off that. How did you get to that point with DJing? How did you network with people? Uh, what did you do? Because I know there's a lot of DJs listening to this who want to get more gigs locally at bars, at clubs. Uh, they're just not yeah, sure true. how to go about it. So, I mean, I, I think I was really lucky to get into DJing. First of all, I was lucky because I live in Copenhagen in Denmark. And it's not the biggest city, and it's definitely not the biggest country. <laughs> so I really had an advantage there. Because in Denmark, we only have like, yeah, I don't know, 50 or 100 really good DJs. Mm. Um, so there is competition, but there's not a lot of competition. And as a teenager, um, I saved up a lot of money and bought my own Pioneer decks. And I just practiced every day. So I would I would go from producing to DJing to producing to DJing all in my bedroom. Um, so I think I, I practiced a lot for like three or four years. And then um, I think I got really good at some point and I started doing like these competitions. And I think I think that's a really good way to break through as a DJ. Because you have these competitions in almost every country now. You have the what's it called, Red Bull 3 style. Um, mm-hmm. And you have like different DJing competitions which can get you booked somewhere. Um, and actually, I participated in this competition in Copenhagen when I was, I think I was 16 or 17. Um, and the judge was an old friend of mine from uh, what, that I went to middle school with. 
So I'd known him basically my entire life. And he was like, hey, dude, I didn't know you were a DJ. You're actually good. And then he booked me like a trial gig at his club in Copenhagen. Because he was running this club um, called Klubin back in the days. Mm. And then he booked me this club, this gig. One night, um, I, I think it was the opening act. I was playing for an hour or something just so they could test me out. Um, and they thought I was good. And from there, I was just booked every weekend. Huh. Um, and yeah, I went on to basically, I think I've DJed for every weekend for the past eight years or something. Wow. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, to all the DJs out there, I definitely say practice a lot. Mm. Um, if you don't have your own, your own decks, your own pioneer CDJs or DMJs or something, save up some money, do it with a friend. Um, ask your local bar or club if you can practice there. Cause really about DJing practice is key. Yeah. Yeah. When when you get to a point where you're like confident in your DJing skills, go participate in those competitions. They can really help you out. So you would have been doing hip hop DJing when you started. Yep. Oh, that's <laughs> of course. Tough. But the, yeah, hip hop DJing was tough. But the fun, funny thing is, the guy that actually started DJing with me, my friend who got me into DJing, he was more into electronic stuff. So ah. at the same time that I practiced hip hop, he would teach me how to DJ electronic stuff. Because he was really into that whole, um, the whole like progressive EDM vibe, the whole yeah. Swedish thing back then. Because we we were in Denmark, so everything was everybody was listening to Swedish music, like Axwell, Swedish House yeah. Mafia, all those guys. So I would I would learn to play like house and EDM music at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, so so going back to production now, how? Yeah. How do you usually start a track? Do you start with a melody, a preset, or does it change every time? Um, the funny thing about starting tracks for me is I used to start with a drop, like always. I had mm. this idea for drops, and I would just go straight into Logic, open up a project, and then do a drop. Um, but at at one point, I just I think I got tired of it because I wasn't starting with the drops and they, they weren't getting any better when I started with a drop. Um, so I kind of, I think it was at the same time that I did the structure of my daily like studio thing. Um, I started from the beginning, actually. I started creating a melody for the break or the verse, if you were doing like commercial tunes. Mm. Um, and then I build up everything from there. And that's, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm doing like a bit more commercial stuff now. Yeah. And I think the melody is really the key to the entire track when you do stuff like that. Um, so when I work now, I usually start with the melody or the the verse melody. Um, and then I go into the buildup, do it like really, 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 really rough things. And then I go to the drop. But of course, it all depends on what I have in my head when I start the day, because... I mean, some days I would go to the gym, listen to some music, and then get inspired to do a drop. And then mm. I could start with a drop. But usually now, I start with the break. Right, gotcha. And I don't normally ask people this question, but what is the most frustrating part of, of making a song for you? <laughs> okay, uh, that, that's a very good question. Um, the most frustrating part of creating a song for me is definitely doing drops mm. um i used to, i used to be i'd be able to do a drop so quick and so good 
but I really struggle with it nowadays. Um, yeah, I think the the whole drop thing is really really hard for me because yeah, it, when when trap used to be like um, yeah a more monotone sounding genre, it was really easy to do. Drop you do like one hundred forty BPM. Yeah, the drum the drum rhythms were already there and. You just had to do like a drop lead, but now you're. I'm getting into more like complicated stuff, and I think the genre is already is already there. I mean, um, so I really struggle with doing like drop leads nowadays. Mm. Yesterday, yesterday I spent like I don't know six hours in Serum just designing leads, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, at one point I was like, Fabian, what are you doing? Because I, <laughs> I, I, I didn't do anything except sit in Serum and try to design a lead for a drop. Oh man! And in the end, it didn't really work out, so oh, that wasn't good. That is the uh, the life of a full time music producer, right there. <laughs> yes, it is, man. Uh, so I, I definitely struggle with drops. I think that's pretty common. Yeah, so yeah, I, I think it is. <laughs> I think um, it is. I know me and uh, I know me and Snaps when we do these mm. collabs, we used to do like one session where we do the entire idea for the track, and then we have like something we call a drop lead session okay. where we would like schedule an entire day just to do the drop lead. <laughs> I think that kind of, that kind of shows the, the struggle we had of creating drops. Yeah, man. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, wow. Uh, so, so your music, you know, obviously I was listening to a lot of it uh, in preparation for this interview. It's very creative and, and to me, each track, you. like you have this, you have this unique sound, but then again, each song is different from one another. Like it's, it, you know, you hear some artists and like all their music kind of sounds the same and it's like they've copied yeah. and pasted a project file and just changed the notes around. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. you know, your music is, your songs are uni- unique and there's something special about each one. Uh, so it sounds like you experiment a lot. Do you think it's important for or producers to experiment and play around with different genres because I feel like at the moment there's a little bit of I'm not sure what the word is complacency or you know people are happy to just do that copy and paste thing and just tune up you know yeah, similar tracks yeah. and what are your thoughts yeah, on that I really think it's important to experiment and I I I kind of um, I kind of agree with you on that whole copy pasting thing um and I think it really it really started when the whole, I, of course, it started with social media because the whole genre labeling. Everyone wants to label tracks some genre. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when they think of you, they're like, "Hey, Fabian Masur, oh, he makes trap." So every time I release a song, people label it trap. Um, and but I you think, have you have songs that aren't trap songs, right? Yeah, exactly. But then people are like. Is this trap? What genre is this? Everyone <laughs> wants to put a label on something. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think that's a that's a really big issue. And also, the whole copy pasting thing. Um, I think I really think people should experiment some more. And obviously, I've been experimenting a lot, um, sometimes too much, because mm. sometimes I've spent entire days experimenting and I didn't end up with anything, and I go home feeling empty. I go home feeling a bit sad because, hey, dude, what did you do today? Mm. Um, but you you got to remember that experimenting can get you somewhere crazy. I mean, I, a lot of my songs came out of, like, 
type, uh, uh, so many sessions just experimenting. Um, and sometimes it gets you to a good place, and sometimes it doesn't. That's just how it is. Um, so I would definitely recommend producers out there to experiment more. And if you're working on something, try to do something opposite the next day. I mean, if you're mm. doing a electro house track the one day, try to do some soul music the next day or something. Um, just change it up a bit, because I mean, it if you if you're seeing this from a, like a mind perspective, it really it could really help you out if you like change up your thing and your way of working around the whole genre thing because you could get stuck in doing the same thing if if you like if you think of the whole copy pasting thing all the time you're like hey i need to make trap mm. so i just copy some cymatics trap drums put them in <laughs> here and then yeah <laughs> um and then you just do the same lead or something and i think a lot of producers tend to be I mean, they tend to do that a bit too much. Yeah. Um, so I would definitely th say, like, change up your routine, do something different, um, do a sample pack, learn some new chords, do something different. Experiment. <laughs> totally. And and I think this is... So a lot of people complain about the fact that, um, okay, a company like Cymatics, you know, they put out yes. these sample packs. A lot of people use them. Yes, if I go down my SoundCloud feed right now and I play ten tracks, <laughs> they're probably all going to sound the same, and yeah. um, that's unfortunate. But I also think it's an opportunity for those who who will put in the work and will experiment to rise above the rest. Because uh, yeah, the scene is saturated. There's a lot of music coming out. It's all the same, and people are starting to notice that. And so yeah. when you as a producer have something special or you've experimented, you spent six hours designing the drop lead and serum, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you will you will stand out and people will be like, this is something different. Uh, and that's because you're working harder than, than those other people who are just, you know, dragging in bass loops and drum loops and just, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Sure. And I, I really feel like now that we're talking about the whole labeling and genre thing, I really feel like Cymatics has been dictating the whole trap future bass sound for the past, I don't know, one, two years. Mm. Um, and I love Cymatics. I mean, they make the greatest sample. Oh, yeah. And they have basically, like, they've dictated how trap music sounds in 2016 and 17. Yeah. And you can't, you can't like, you can't say anything against that. Because if you go through the, the trap charge, for example, or the, your SoundCloud stream, Everything is sounding like cymatic samples. Yeah, yeah. Not saying it's a, it's a bad thing because the samples are really good, but I mean, it kind of comes to the point where I feel like a lot of producers don't experiment enough. Mm. Um, because they they think let's let's say a producer sits down to do a track. You want he usually does trap, so he thinks, hey, I'm going to do a trap track today. The easiest thing for him is just to go. To cymatic samples, yeah, um, to fit in the trap box, and I th feel like a lot of producers are trying to fit inside this genre box because they see all these comments on social media, um, and that kind of forces them, or they think they're forced to like fit inside a genre box. Um, and sometimes I I get trapped in that myself. I feel mm. like I, I feel like hey, I'm going to do a future based track. Okay, what's the easiest, 
quickest way to do a good future based track. Okay, yeah. I'm going to go cymatics, put in some loops, blah, blah, blah. And then you have a track in like one hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think I think you need to create a. I, I remember reading an article once that said you got to create a mood and not a genre. Um, yes. I can't remember who wrote it actually, but that was that that really made an impact on me. Um, and the past few months where I've been experimenting experimenting more, I think the whole mood thing is really important. I really like that. S- yeah. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of feel like I had to step outside the genre boxes because I was, and my manager told me this a lot. He was like, "I think you're overthinking the whole sound thing," because I would spend hours just trying to fit inside these boxes of genres. Um, and at one point, I just realized that it's not all about these boxes. If you do a um, 150 BPM track, you don't necessarily have to do future bass that sounds like da 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 da. Da, 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 da. Yeah. You can do something different. Switch it up. You know, when you... Well, when I think about the innovators, people like Skrillex, pioneers, you know, yeah, who, yeah. who bought new sounds and, and started new movements. I feel like those kind of producers and those artists, they don't think in terms of genre boxes. Because um, if, you know, Skrillex is sitting there, and he wasn't the first one to, to make that heavy kind of music, but he did innovate uh, and he did make unique music. If he sat sure there did. thinking, if he sat there thinking, oh, I need to make a dubstep track, that means I can't do this. Like, I have to have just a wobble bass, uh, not like a crazy growl bass or something like that. Um, that that whole movement may have never happened. And so, I think, and you touched on this, when you confine yourself to a genre, and this also goes back to uh, the trying to, trying to copy someone else or trying to sound like someone else. Yeah, yeah you're just not as creative because okay let's say you're making a future bass track oh if i'm making a future bass track i need to have like a flume like snare a big clap or yeah or something like that and so if you pull in a snare that doesn't sound like that even though it might be a great snare and it might make the track sound unique and awesome um you're just going to discard it because it's like well that's not a future bass and i can't use that or i can't use this lead because that doesn't sound like a future bass lead like that is yeah, not exactly. that is not creative thinking <laughs> at all. And it's not. It's really not. And I feel like a lot of producers, including myself, get trapped in thinking like that a lot. Yeah. Because we yeah. we see on SoundCloud and Spotify that the tracks that's trending are ninety five percent safe choices. Yes. They're like they have the flume snare and they have the cymatics serum preset future bass leads mm. and they're like safe. Safely produced future based tracks. Well, and how, I really feel yeah. I really feel like it's it's a struggle to hit those last five percent, like the experimenting yeah. but good stuff. How do you deal with that and for you as a full time producer? Because obviously you have to you've got a, a lifestyle to support. Um you can't just go off and make spend all your time making tracks that may you know, the likelihood of them hitting the market well isn't high because they're too experimental. Um, yeah. How do you balance that? You know, like, because cause it is, like there are producers out there who can make safe tracks, make a good living from it and never innovate ever. And and that's fine. Like they, they still yeah. manage. There are actually a lot of them, yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like, I mean, I, 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 the past few years I've been, 
releasing a lot of like dark and hard stuff mm. um and i i recently got into more not commercial but you know more more pop sounding stuff yeah i mean more melodies more vocals and less hard drops and brass stabs and all that um so i feel like right now the balance of doing both hard stuff and soft stuff that kind of helps me out a lot mm. um and yeah, I feel like the the whole balance of that is really helping me out. Was was the move to to the more pop oriented stuff a, a conscious choice? Because I think pop music is great, and I actually think it's very hard to make properly to make a catchy it song. It's really really hard, and I think that's I honestly think it's underrated. And I get really annoyed when people say, "Oh, he, he's sold out because he's making like pop music now." It's like yeah, no, exactly. that is that is like the pinnacle for me um you know to make pop music like that's you've made it like to make a catchy track that's the goal yeah. of of many producers and it's a hard thing to do and it's not selling out at all um it's like if if you if you like making say a dark trap song and a pop song or a more commercially oriented song equally um on one table you've got ten thousand dollars and on the other you've got a hundred like obviously you're gonna <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah like but just just to rant for a moment and i apologize but um like but i totally agree yeah i totally agree on that it's really hard and i really struggled to create these more pop sounding records yeah yeah because yeah. yeah all of a sudden you got to think of a broader audience it, yep. and not just the producer thing because when i produce like my hard stuff i'm all about the production i'm all about hey let's make this really cool bass growl mm. thing where people are just going to lose their mind at raves and stuff. Um, but now all of a sudden you got to think about melodies and, and like choruses and hooks and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's really hard. And I really struggled to create this like good sounding pop music, which still has an identity. Yes. And that's the hardest thing for me because I, I want people to hear it as a good pop song, but I still want them to hear that it's a Fabian Masur song. Yeah. So I yeah. kind of need to get the elements in. Um, and I've been experimenting a lot with that lately. Um, and you, yeah, the thing you also mentioned, like you see a few producers doing good pop music, actually. And I th I feel like the whole, the whole like trap and future based regimen, there's a few breakout producers that's doing really well right now in that area. Um, yeah, you got the whole... Of course, you got the whole Muramasa. He really mm. broke out last year. And I love his stuff. And you have like people like Party Favor, Crane, yeah. Boombox Cartel, all those guys. You see them all like going more and more pop. And they're actually creating decent pop records. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I really admire that because I don't think a lot of their audience realizes how hard it is to create a, a good commercial sounding record while still maintaining their sound yes yeah it has to be the most difficult thing um yeah really <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's so interesting i like that uh so just to delve into the more technical side of production then yeah you're also you're also a vocalist somewhat and you sing on quite a few of your tracks uh, does knowing how to sing help you as a producer? And do you think other people should learn how to sing? <laughs> okay, so the 
the funny thing about that is, um, yeah, I sing on some of my records. Um, I've been singing on the ones called Think About You, Right Now, and Savior. Yeah. And I kind of, the whole singing thing, I got to be honest, I can't sing <laughs> at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, no, I was, this, this is quite auto-tuned, yeah. Yeah, it is. I was never like <laughs> vocally trained and I sing terrible. I, it's yeah. like really off-key. Like by This gives by me hope. This gives me a lot of hope because I can't sing at all, so keep going. Exactly. But the, <laughs> the funny thing is, I kind of got into this whole singing on your own thing mm. um, while experimenting a lot. Because I was doing these tracks and I was like trying to get vocalists on and... Whenever I got a vocal, it wasn't that great. And I had to wait a month for a vocalist to do a vocal. Mm. And at one point, I just got tired of it. And I was like, hey, what if you sing yourself? I know you can't sing, but you could just over-process it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I tried doing... Uh, the first song I actually experimented by that was... Um, that was a song called Thinking About You. Because um, mm. I've... I mean, I've always been listening to like hip hop and R and B stuff, so I have a lot of the the lyrical and melody aspects in my yeah. mind. Um, so when I heard the the beat I produced, I was like, okay, try to do a vocal, write some lyrics, write some cool melodies. Um, and yet, first of all, auto tune. God bless. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't have been able to do that without auto tune, and the fact that Logic Pro X has built in Melodyne. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I really can't sing, but the funny thing is, when you can't sing and you experiment with singing, um, you can get some crazy good results. Yeah, and I think there's 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 kind of a this uniqueness over these vocals because they're so over processed. Yeah, like I my channel strip and logic when I record is filled up. There's no room for another plugin. It's like 14 <laughs> plugins or something, I think. Um, and I think, I think at one point I was just like, dude, this could actually work. Yeah. If you overprocess your vocals like that, because they're like, they're reverb, delay, um, auto tune, of course, distortion. You have this like panning stuff and, yeah. and a lot of effects. And I think if you just experiment with that, even though you can't sing, you can create some really unique sounding vocals. I feel like I'll have to give this a go because, yeah, I, I definitely can't sing. Um, I mean, I've tried. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you should. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it, man. Uh, what's, what is a production technique that you use that not many people may know about? Like an underrated technique. An underrated technique. Yeah, um, yeah I've, I, the, the thing I get asked the most by other producers is how I make my drop leads. Um, and I kind of got into this trick, like, I think it was a half year ago or something, um, where I was experimenting a lot with reverb. Um, and I started doing like leads more wet and everything more wet. And at one point I was experimenting in serum a lot, of course. <laughs> um, and I was, I had this lead that sounded really dope. It was like a plucky lead, like a, a really short attack and pretty slow release mm. um and i turned up the reverb to all wet and i had a short plate reverb on it and it just sounded like so crazy because when it, when it's all wet 
you don't get the plug anymore. It's yeah. just like a, I mean, you had short release, so it's not a long sound, and you had this, you get this really crazy dope sound. And I, I mean, since I figured out that trick, I've been using uh, all my sounds. Um, because if you hear any track from me, basically, especially the harder ones, you can hear the drop leads. They're like, they're kind of reverby, but not a lot. Mm. Um, and I've been using this trick a lot, like having a pl- short plate reverb and turning the knob to all wet. So you have no dry signal, only the wet one. And I think, I feel like that's a, that's also a, a, a tendency I see a lot in music nowadays. And I think it's really dope. You heard it in the, um, oh, what was that record called? Supernatural by Boombox Cartel. It was like the biggest trap record of last year. And the lead in there was also like that. It was kind of plucky, but not really plucky and like reverby. And I think kind of feel like they did the same thing on that. No, for sure. I like that. I love playing with uh, reverb. Yeah, exactly. So for all producers out there, if you have a, a lead, try taking a short play reverb and turning it all wet. Hmm. going to either sound really bad or really good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you spend a bit of time working on sample packs, uh, you know, sound yeah. design, that kind of stuff. Tell us a bit about that. Why did you decide to, to start doing that? And what have you learned from doing that so far? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've always wanted to do a sample pack, but at first I didn't really know like why I would do a sample pack because mm. I didn't see any point of doing it. And then I got contacted by this company called Sennheiser um, from Australia. Is that the, they, the headphone company? No, it's not the headphone company. It's with a oh, Z. Zen, oh, Z. Oh, yeah, yeah. My bad, my bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> of course. And they contacted me and they were like, hey, Fabian, we really love your sound. You should do a sample pack for us. And that, I think that was kind of the point where I realized that I had a sound. Like, my sound was a thing. Mm. Um, so I really took pride in creating these sample packs. I created two sample packs for Sennheiser. Um which released um, in early 2016 and summer 2016. Um, And I feel like working on the sample packs made me more creative when I do other stuff. Um, Because I was doing a lot of sound design anyway, so I kind of knew the whole, like, synthesizing and all that stuff. Mm. Um, And I really feel like doing these sample packs were really interesting. I... Went out to my mama's house and recorded all her percussion elements. <laughs> um, and I recorded some, like, my dad playing bass and stuff. Yeah. So I had all these all these funny elements. And I just messed around with them, like, recording kicks in the studio, recording live claps, and just, like, messing around with effects and channel strips and plugins. Mm. And doing stuff like that, it could really expand your, like, your knowledge about producing and your knowledge about, like, how sounds are made. It's like reverse engineering. Yeah. Um, and I kind of love the way, like doing these sample packs, it really, it could kind of change your mind of how you think music. Because um, you kind of have to go back to square one. I mean, you kind of have to go like, how do I ke- create this kick from scratch? Um, and I kind of, I, lo- I just love the nerdiness of doing that. Um, yeah, yeah. And like sampling stuff and taking a sample from, Yes, let's say you're taking a sample from another pack and you have to like completely redo the sample or make it sound like something different so you can use it for your own stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a really interesting way of working. And it can really, um, it, can, it can make you a better producer, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It sounds so fun. <laughs> if I had yeah, more time, uh, if I had more time, I'd definitely like work on a sample pack. Yeah, exactly. It's it's really time consuming. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first pack, I went all in. I spent like almost two months working every day on the sample pack. Wow. Um, and I I also had to create like 550 samples, so <sighs> obviously it took a lot of time. Yeah. Um, but I I feel like if I mean if producers have the time, or just they should just make time. I mean, take an yeah, hour every yeah. day, work on samples. It could really benefit you, I think. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, cool. I've got one last question, Fabian. Yeah. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see new producers making? Biggest mistakes? Um, yeah, we, we kind of went over this, but I feel like the whole genre thing is a big mistake. Um mm. And people tended to go for like loops and the same samples. For examples, from like samples from cymatics. Um, <laughs> that's a really good example. And I, I kind of feel like a lot of new producers don't experiment enough. Yeah. Um, and not that I blame him, because I, I didn't used to experiment enough back with, when I was a new producer. Um, so yeah, I kind of. I kind of feel like a lot of new producers struggle with the whole genre thing because they they're all trying to fit inside these boxes. Yeah, yeah. And the earlier they get out of that mindset, the better. Especially as a new producer, because I mean, when I got into production, I was making everything. I was making dubstep. Yeah, yeah, I was making so. drum and bass, and I, I I'm so grateful that that happened because I learned so many different things. I mean, if you're just making yeah, sure. if you're just making techno, you're not really going to learn. Like if you're making like the the popular techno you're not really going to learn how to craft a good chord progression or um you know or because a lot of the techno that comes out is just one note the whole time and it's great like it's got a good groove but and if you make trance or something you're going to learn how to make a great chord progression and melody and so on and so on so i think that's really important not to confine yourself to just one genre especially as a new producer yeah exactly i feel i really feel like once you have the basics down, mm. you should try to experiment, do different stuff, do different genres. Um, that could really help you out as a producer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, Fabian, it's been a, a fantastic conversation. Really appreciate you coming on. Uh, and before yeah, thank you, you so go, much. My pleasure, man. Before you go, uh, is there anything coming up for Fabian Masur in the, the next few months that you can talk about? Oh, yes. There, um, yeah, I can mention a few things. <laughs> there, there's actually a lot coming up. Um, I have a track coming out with uh with this singer called Grace and Chance. Um, and I think that track is it's something special. It's mm. it's kind of a new sound for me, and I I'm really excited to release it. Um, other than that, I have a lot of hard stuff coming as well. Um, yeah, I have collabs with a lot of guys, especially Snaps. We have a lot of collabs going. Sick. Um. And yeah, I just, um, I almost have tracks done for the rest of 2017 and I'm so wow. excited to release wow. all of them. So productive. <laughs> yeah, I try to be, but, um, yeah, I'm so excited to release all this new music that I'm coming out with and I'm doing a sample pack as well that drops in a few months. Awesome. Awesome. I look forward to all of that. Thank you so much, man. <laughs>